All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Good. Um, obviously, I'm the pastor. Uh, if you're joining us online, you haven't been with us before. My name's David Hale. I'm the senior pastor here at DCF. Everybody else, you just know me as Dave, right? Um, we talk about one of the values at our church is friendship before function. It's one of the ways we, again, how we release the grace that's on our life. And so pastor is, um, the way I see it in scripture, pastor is a function, not a title. I have no problem if you need to call me pastor, if that's kind of the way you grew up and that's your culture. I know it is a sign of respect. I have no problem with it. Um, it's not an issue. I just want you to remember that friendship comes first and then function comes second. And so what I want to do, if I'm, if, if I'm meeting you as a pastor, I'm, I'm always going to shepherd you, I promise. I can't not do that. Even if we're best friends, I'm going to shepherd you because it's just the way God's He's wired me and formed me. Um, but I want our relationship to be built out of function. I'm sorry, out of friendship, not function. Does that make sense? And so as we kind of connected in these grace teams we've been talking about, that's a big deal. And so um, depending on what your grace gift is, that might, might be what God has gifted you in and you're strong in. Those are some of your strengths. But your identity is not formed in only of that. And so we're going to talk about that uh, as we kind of get forward. But I want to jump in this morning and continue a series that we're doing called Covenant and Kingdom. We talked last week a little bit about covenant. We talked about the life of Abraham and Sarah and the relationship. God was designing a relationship, in, and it was, he created a covenant. And we often think of that as a contract. And the covenant always comes first, something to remember before anything else. Um, part of the reason why is it empowers us. The covenant is always, is always given from the greater to the lesser. And so you see God giving the covenant from Abraham uh, sorry, from God to Abraham, not Abraham to God. And so we talked a little bit about, well, what does that mean? We kind of know what we're getting out of it. We're getting everything that God has and his inheritance, but what's he getting out of it? And the simple answer is he's getting you, and that's enough for him. And, and it turns out that God actually loves you. <laughs> I mean, you guys know God loves you, right? If you're, if, okay, some of you guys are not so sure. So I'll, I'm going to help you <laughs> understand that God loves you, and that's the primary focus of his relationship with you, not getting you to do the right thing, right? If you think about rules and regulations, we're going to get into this a little bit next week, and how the relationship in a covenant and a kingdom work, and oftentimes we get them backwards. We think in a kingdom because kingdom is more um, how you represent your father, and covenant is how you are in relationship with your father. And so often, rather than starting with the covenant and starting with the relationship, we end up starting with, um, starting with the kingdom, start trying to do things to get the identity, and that's not how God works. So today I want to talk about this process of, of how God is, he puts a call on your life to represent him in your sphere of influence, whatever that might be. And so the question is this, what is it that God needs to do so that he's able to use us for his purposes in the world? So again, if you don't start with covenant, you, you, you start thinking about purpose before identity, and that's not helpful. So we want to make sure that you begin this, this whole concept with the idea that God wants a relationship with you first. That's why I mentioned as a pastor, it's not about my, my gifting and my function first, it's about friendship, it's about relationship. So relationship always comes first, and then there's a release of what God has placed in your, in your life. And so God wants to do the same thing with you. He wants to begin a relationship with you. He wants to build the relationship with you before he wants to do anything else. And you see this in the law of first mention in the book of Genesis. We're going to get to uh, a little bit further on in Gen Genesis today to talk about kingdom. But you see God coming in before the fall, before sin. And the Bible says he would come with Adam and Eve, and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. So just think about that for a second. There's an that's such an interesting phrase that God's intent and in his heart and his passion was not that he had created Adam to tend the garden. 
although he had created Adam to tend the garden. He told him, part of my purpose in making you, I've created something for you to rule and to, and to lead and to bring your strength to. There's a purpose in every single one of us, and that's, and that's true. And if you, if you don't understand your purpose, then there's really no reason to live. And you see that mirrored right now in our society in a huge way. It's like, you know, all this unrest, all the things that are happening, you know, is it, is it, is it worth living? You, you, some of the memes that you find online right now, especially for the younger generation, is it's this constant reprisal of, is there really a reason to go on? Because what happens is you get into your work life, right? You get into your relationship, and all the newness wears off. Right? When you're young, everything's new, right? New relationship, new career, or going to school and then career. You start your whole life and everything's new. It's just like buying a new car. You, know, you drive it off the lot and the second you drive it off the lot, it's no longer new. And if you try to go resell it, you'll find out how, how true that really is, right? It's a big depreciation. So it, part of the idea is, is if, we, if we build everything out of just, you know, the newness, just the function, just, oh, this is what I'm designed to do. If we don't understand the purpose that comes from our identity, then what happens is that, that monotony over and over and over again begins to tell me this life is, is it's worthless. There's no real reason to be here. Anybody could do my job. You know, this relationship is going nowhere. Um, you know, what, do I, what, am, what am I doing this for? And so you see that constantly in our society. And so the whole idea is that in a relationship, God builds into you this relationship, and then from this identity, he says, I'm your father, you're my son. And again, the Bible uses sonship as not just as a gender role, right? It's a popular phrase right now. But it uses it as a, as a means of inheritance, right? So understanding that even as a, as a woman, you're still a son in the new covenant, if that makes sense. And the reason why that works <laughs> This is getting real. I can see the look on your face. You're like, that's not how it works, Dave. I'm pretty sure it's not. We'll go there another time. But just suffice it to say that the whole reason God brings sonship into play is it's two things. It's relationship, a father and a son, and it's an inheritance from the father to the son so that he can fulfill the purposes of the father. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we're going after today. What we're going to do is we're going to jump into Genesis. This is chapter 37. So if you have your old school Bible, open it up. If you have your new school Bible, open it up, and we're going to go to Genesis 37. I'm going to read in just a second, starting in verse 5. But I just want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, Jacob, one of the fathers uh, in the Old, uh, Old Testament, is what we would call a preoccupied parent. Okay, So he has, uh, he has 12 sons. Go back and read the story. It's a fascinating story. He has 12 sons, and he has um, Joseph in his old age, the Bible says. And so he's the 11th son, it turns out, but he's his favorite. Right? So I know you're not supposed to have favorite kids, but everybody who's a parent right now with more than one kid, you're thinking of your favorite. Don't lie. I know. <laughs> and all the kids are going, I know it's my brother. I, I know it's my brother. So <laughs> he's a preoccupied parent. He's, he's got a favorite son, and he treats this favored son, this 11th son, as if he's the firstborn, which is not a good thing, right? Because it, it does exactly what you think it would do. It makes his brothers hate him. So, so the story starts, Joseph is 17 years old, he's given this coat, coat of many colors, there's lots of different interpretations, that's kind of the primary one, a coat of many colors, but it represented a supervisor's role. The whole idea was, if you wear this coat, you don't do manual labor, <laughs> right? And so he, he, the story comes along, Joseph is, is uh, being doted on by his father, he's being, you know, typical typical kind of a teenager in some ways. He's the apple of his father's eye. He's, uh, he can do no wrong. 
His brothers hate him, but he can't figure out why, right? Because he's so amazing. Why would anybody hate Joseph? And so the story kind of picks up in, in Genesis chapter 37. Um, he, he has a dream, and he tells it to his brothers. So I'm just going to read it. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So they already hated him because his father was, you know, uh, treating him as the firstborn son when he wasn't. Um, but now he's telling them a dream. So first of all, I want you to capture this. The dream is from God. Right? We know that because we read the rest of the story of Joseph. This dream is from God. And you can see how quickly in our immaturity we can take what God is trying to do in our lives and we can use it to hurt people instead of help them. Right? And you see this all the time when people, when people don't understand how their gift is, is, is wired and their calling is wired. So the Bible says, verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. <laughs> Not God gave me. Right? But this dream I had. And dreams were a big deal in that culture. Um, dreams were commonplace and they were typically recognized often as, as God speaking into the, into the situation. Uh, verse 7 says, We were binding sheaves. So he's telling the story. We're binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. I don't see how this could go wrong. Can, do you? I mean, I'm like, it's off, he's starting off on a, on a good foot. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? And the answer is, yeah. <laughs> of course I do. That's my intention. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And we, again, this is the beginning of the story. They don't know what the answer is, but we all do, right? But part of this is just understanding the attitude that Joseph starts in. Do you actually intend to rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So it wasn't because of his dream, because again, the dream, the intention of God in Joseph's life, Joseph's life was to rescue not just his brothers, but his father, his whole family, and all of Israel, right? To save them. He was, he was a savior. God was using him as a picture, as a symbol, um, as a sign of the Messiah. So the intention of God is beautiful in this picture, but how he is coming or going about it is really kind of screwed up, right? So um, verse 9 says, then he said, then he had another dream. Because, you know, one, one time telling them he's their boss is not going to be enough. He wants to make sure they know. He said, then he had another dream and he told it to, told it to his brothers. Um, Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bound down to me. So the sun and the moon and 11 stars, so the 11 stars are easy. That's the brothers, right? What was the sun and the moon? And that's his mom and his dad, right? It's like, like not only am I above you guys, <laughs> but, you know, mom and dad are going to bow down to me as well. And so, so, again, the dream was from God. There's no doubt about it. We know this because we read the end of the story. But how he saw himself in this whole scenario was a bit of a problem. And, and this is kind of where we're going with this. Obviously, you can kind of see it. There's an intention that God has for us in the sense that he's designed us a certain way for a certain thing. The truth is, if we could, go, if we could look at those brothers through the lens of the new covenant, we would recognize that every single one of those brothers had giftings as well, right? They had reasons. One, of, one thing that was really interesting is when the story kind of goes down, um, we're going to get into it in just a second, when it goes down, um, ten of the brothers want to kill him. Right? They're like, we're, he's going to go missing. That's what's going to happen. He's going to go missing. And by that, they mean they're going to kill him. Right? And his oldest brother, I think it's Simeon, says, hey, let's, let's not do that. Let's just give him a good beat down. Right? And then throw him in a pit, or it turns out a cistern, like a well. Um, we're going to throw him in there. We're going to let him think about his, this dream that he had. Right? And maybe he'll come to his senses. So in some ways, you can see, you can see this 
grace on Simeon's life of compassion, right? And a love for his brother, even though his brother was doing it all wrong, he had a heart for his brother and he had a heart for life. And so again, you see through the new covenant lens, you can see that every single person is gifted. So again, we know God is going to use Joseph to rule, but not like this. That's not how he intends to do it. So of course, the brothers um, go through with the whole process. They beat him down, throw him in a pit, think about what to do with him. And in that, in that moment, slavers come through. It's, Turns out that they're actually in relation. They had a, a family relationship with the, these guys, and uh, they sell him to um, to these guys. And he's taken to Egypt in the slave trade, and he's sold to Potiphar, who was in the the Pharaoh's court, and he was uh, the captain of the guard. It's the easiest way to to describe it. So very prominent man. So we jump now from into Genesis 39. So he he starts out, and I want to give you kind of a picture that he is, and it may have, she may have already put it up there, the picture of Joseph at the center of his universe. And so if we can put that picture up real quick. So here you see this coat of many colors, right? So this is Joseph, and he is literally the center of the whole universe. So he knows God is God, right? It's not like he's not a believer. It's not like he doesn't believe God. I would imagine, you know, we put it in context. He probably went to church. He probably did all the right things. You know, he probably went to the right schools, <laughs> whatever. Um, But in his eyes, he was the center of the universe. He believed in God. It's helpful to remember that he had a relationship to some degree with God. And God has come and tell him, say, in this relationship, in who you are, who I've made you to be, you're a son first, right? But I have have something I want you to do. And part of this is he was, he had lost sight of the sonship aspect of it and was leaning heavily into the purpose of and the destiny, and the gift, and the thing that he was supposed to do. And, and the reason why I mention that is because that's what we all do. It is so easy to do. Like when, when we do, um, you know, our newcomers class here at DCF, we've done strength finders, we do um, personality tests, we do a gift assessment, we do all kinds of different things to help you find, especially as we get ready to do grace teams, we do those things to try to help you find what God has designed you to do. Like I mentioned before that, that, Part of that is we, the reason why we call them grace teams is on purpose because God has graced us. He's given us certain things that are connected to him. So if, if it's a leadership gift, then I can lead without even trying. It's something that I'm, I'm gifted in. I don't have to try. What I have to try to do is to lead with character, right? So let me give you an example. We had, uh, we had some friends, had uh, three little girls. Some of you guys know them, um, and their oldest little girl is like her mom and dad, they're incredible leaders. Um, she is probably one of the strongest leaders. She's probably, you know, she's like Joseph, I would imagine. She's probably, they're probably going to bow down to her at one point. You know, she's just a, an incredible leader. But in the beginning, her leadership gift is very selfish. You see this with Joseph. The gifting, the purpose, the function is all about me, right? I remember they were over at our house and we got this little, we bought a house and it had this little, um, you know, tree house, like a deck level tree house out there. And uh, we had a bunch of people over. So there was probably 10, 15 kids there out playing in the, in the, in the treehouse. And we were all sitting there around drinking coffee on my back porch watching the scenario play out. And instantly this, this family came in. The, the, the three girls walked right out to the, to the uh, treehouse. And the oldest girl immediately took charge of the situation because obviously they were doing it all wrong, right? <laughs> and so she got up and she said, this is what we're going to do. I mean, she's announcing it to all the kids, almost like they were in a little party. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, this is a ship. That's what this is. This is a ship. And so this is what you're going you're gonna to lift the sails. And she starts giving everybody jobs descriptions, right? And just so they're not unclear about the whole scenario, at the end she says, and by the way, I'm the captain. 
<laughs> right? And I just had this picture of that meme. I'm the captain now. It's like, you know, she was, she was taking over. <laughs> and, and, of course, the, the whole point is she, she's the best captain out there. There was no doubt that she should have been in charge. Now, she was doing that mostly through, because she's little, she's doing that with that selfishness in mind. And the truth is we often don't grow out of that, <laughs> right? We forget that the reason God has graced me is not for my sake. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed because of the gifts on my life. But the primary reason is to serve God's purposes, and his purposes is to serve other people. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. The most gifted, the most anointed, the most graced human that has ever walked the planet bent a knee on the night he was going to be betrayed, bent his knee, and he washed his disciples' feet, right, and dried them. And, he, and one of them said, Lord, this, is too, this, is, this makes you less. In his head, that's what he's thinking. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said, if you don't do this, you can have no part of me. You do not get the kingdom if you don't get this. Right? And so that's the picture. The problem is Joseph is, again, he's 17 years old, and he's still the center of the universe. So the story moves on in Genesis 39, um, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So what has happened in, he's, he's been bought or sold into slavery, He's been purchased by Potiphar, the, the captain of the guard of the Pharaoh's court, and he's now a slave so in, in uh, Potiphar's court. And he, he is really good looking, the Bible says, it just goes through this story, he's ready looking, he's a good looking guy, he's, he's got a lot of benefits, right? And Potiphar's wife notices his benefits, <laughs> so she decides she wants to sleep with him. And he says, no, you know, there's enough of covenant in him to say, hey, that's not going to probably be a good idea. And he talks about, I, would, I could never do that to the one I serve, right? I could never do that Potiphar. And, he, and then he remembers, oh yeah, ultimately I could never do that to God. But what's really fascinating is in this whole process, um, God still blesses him. Everything he does, he's blessed. Every time he turns around, he's blessed because the covenant is, is, is intact with him, right? And that's true of you and I if we're paying attention. So again, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, falsely accuses him, he goes to prison. He went from being a slave to now a slave in prison. <laughs> it's like, can it get worse? Yes, it can. So God wants to move Joseph, and here's what he's trying to do. There's a journey happening here. God is wanting to move Joseph from the center to the edge of his universe, so right now, you can put the picture that we had up before. Right now, Joseph is in the center of the universe. You see the little cross down at the bottom. That, that's God. God's in the picture. Right? He mentions him. He recognizes, hey, I probably shouldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. Oh, yeah, because God. Right? So there's, there's enough covenant going on that he understands God is in the picture. The problem is God is on the fringe. God's on the edge. right? And he's the center of the universe. So God has this man in a journey. right? So I, I hear people all the time say, well, you know, good things um, I, I don't understand why bad things happen to good people, right? Well, listen, if you got a few minutes and a coffee, I can explain all that. That's a worldview, right? The fact that you don't understand it means your worldview is not congruent. Your, your worldview is not explaining what you're experiencing. But the Christian worldview will, right? And so that's kind of what we're, what we're after is there's a, there's a process. Now, did God do this to Joseph? And the answer is no. What, threw, what got Joseph thrown in a, in a well, was it God's grace and mercy and kindness and purpose in his life? No, it was Joseph. 17-year-old, 10 feet tall and bulletproof Joseph got his own self thrown in a cistern, sold into slavery, and now he's, he's blessed. Thank God he's working in Potiphar's house, which if you're going to be a slave, that's the place to be. Right? So God is trying to show him that even in his brokenness, 
in the covenant, God's favor and his grace is always upon him. This is the old covenant too. doesn't even take into account the new covenant when the Bible says this is just a shadow of what's coming with the new covenant. So God wants to move Joseph from the center of the universe to the edge. And so what he wants to do is he wants to take, God wants to take center place in his life. That's all he's trying to do. And, and, and this is helpful to just kind of take a pause here and ask the question, why? Why does God want to do this? Is it just because God has an intent and a purpose for Joseph's life? Because sometimes we think that. We think, you know, God's just about getting his will done. So if we, if we have a relationship with God outside of the covenant, outside of understanding the relationship with God, then our relationship is built on what we do for God. You, you get a picture of this. There's so many pictures, but the best picture, I think, in, in, of, all, of all Scripture is the prodigal son, right? The father and two sons is his picture. The one son has, has gone off and lost his inheritance, or, or so he thinks. It just turns out God has way more inheritance than you can lose. That's good news, right? Because you're like, oh, man, I've blown it now. No, you haven't. I mean, yeah, you did, but, but not to the point where God can't restore, right? And, and that's, I think that's a picture that we often lose, lose heart when, we, when we're in the midst, middle of it. Because, again, remember when the first son comes back, his mindset is, I'm not going to come back as a son I'm going to come back as a servant. I'm going to come back and be doing things for God. Now, don't get me wrong. As a son, he was going to be doing things. But think about this for a second. The things he, he's going to be doing as a son are vastly different than the things he's going to be doing he would be doing as a servant, right? And it, there's an inheritance, avail- a full and complete inheritance available to a son. Now, let, me, let me share this because this is helpful. Oftentimes, we are living servant's life, Right? We are living, living servants' lives in the sense that we've come to God, but we've come to, the, to God with this mindset that, you know, he's an ogre, he's a little bit angry. Well, he's, he's a lot angry with me because I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. I'm a, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. And so we, we emphasize the wrong part. And so Joseph is, is operating, even though he understands the covenant, he's operating out of this, this purpose-driven life. Now, I, I chose that on purpose. I love that book. I love the movement that that created because I think it's amazing because it's so true. And in the book, um, the author does a great job of talking about covenant and, and understanding that it's got to come out of that relationship first. So don't, I'm not knocking the book. I'm just saying that we take phrases sometimes, and, and because we're already living that, that just kind of makes sense to us. So we stay in that servant mindset. And so what God has in, in this man is he has a journey that's trying to drive him to think differently, right? It's not about punishment. We punish ourselves all the time, right, with the things we do. What, what is the, I mean, the whole phrase that a person is self-destructive, that literally makes no sense, but we all know it's true, and we've either been that or we know somebody like that. How, in the, how can you be self-destructive? Like, it seems like the person I would want to take, if I'm selfish, the person I would want to take care of the most is me. But the problem is with selfishness is it becomes an all-consuming fire that burns you up and all that's left is ash, right? So this picture is really beautiful. God's trying to bring Joseph to a place where he's the center of the universe. And the reason why is God needs a conduit. The kingdom needs a conduit. So God is like, Joseph, I want to use you in a big, big, big way. Has God not told you that? Hey, I have a plan for your life. Let me, let's just talk about this for a second, where the rubber meets the road is, that's fine when you're 17 and you're telling everybody the plan, maybe in a little selfish way, right? Because you're the center of the universe. 
And then along the journey, and most of us have lived a little bit of time, and we've recognized it turns out that I'm not the center of the universe. Right? I mean, like, just the world starts teaching me that real quick, but also find that if I'm going to fulfill the call of God on my life, if I'm going to actually accomplish what God intended, I can never, I, I can't do it by being the center of the universe. So I want to just kind of move along. So Joseph is, God's trying to move Joseph to, um, to the center, I mean, move Joseph out of the center, move himself into the center, because he wants a conduit. And, and the conduit is a heart, I'm going to show a picture, a heart with a door. And that door is, is really it's just humility. It's saying, hey, God, I, I, I'm happy to do what you've called me to do. I want to allow your grace to flow in me. I thank you that it is. But now I want you to change me, transform me, so that your grace doesn't just flow into me, but it actually can begin to flow out of me. Why? Because God's intent is for you to rescue those who don't know him, right? There's a purpose. That's the big intent, and he does it in lots of different ways. But here, here's why that's so important. You see, again, going back to the, to the prodigal son story, the second son, the oldest son, is in the field working for his father. He's all about purpose with no relationship with his, with his dad. And so you see a picture of two kinds of people. One who's partying his life away, um, has, has blown all the inheritance, right? <laughs> and, and he doesn't know his father. The reason why I know he doesn't know his father is because he comes back with a mentality that because he's screwed up now, his father is going to make him a servant. And that's the best he can hope for. So that's, he's coming back with his tail between his legs. But his mindset's wrong. The older son has all the inheritance he needs, but it's in savings. <laughs> right? And he's not using it. He's not using it because the, the whole idea behind an older brother getting a double inheritance in the Old Covenant was so that he could begin to take on the role of the father, the patriarch, so that he could begin to take care of the family. So the reason he got a double inheritance was so he could go get his brother. And he didn't. And remember what happens? His brother comes back. His mindset, because he's all about himself, his mindset is this, this son of yours, right? No relationship. Like this son of yours, like he's just a son, he's relationship, that's no good. Relationship doesn't matter. He's not doing anything for your kingdom. Remember Mary and Martha? Same story. So it's a picture of these two things happening. So it's, the theme runs out throughout, through the entire Bible. So again, the, the kingdom needs a conduit, and that conduit, it, it, it's a door that is, is humble and allows God to use us, allows us to be moved from the center and let God go to the center. So Genesis 40, I'm going to wrap it up. Genesis 40, is he begins to share um, the center stage with God. So I'll keep the story short. You can go back and read Genesis 40. But there's a cup baker, or sorry, a cup bearer and a baker who've been who've offended the Pharaoh, who get thrown into the prison where um, where Joseph is leading, and uh, they both have dreams, right? They come. Joseph says basically, I'm kind of read it to you. Um, Genesis 40. Uh, we both had dreams. They answered, but there is one. There is no one to interpret. Then Joseph said to them, "Do not interpretations belong to God?" Now tell me your dreams. So you see the picture, and it started with just me, right, in the early, early part of Scripture and earlier part of Genesis. Now it's moved to tell uh, God interprets dreams, but tell them to me because, you know, I'm also the bomb. So in some ways, he's still the center of the universe, but God wants to change that. So Joseph shares the interpretations with them, and um, they go back. One of them dies. The baker dies. The cupbearer goes back to the king. And for two more years, Joseph is in prison. Have you ever been there? Like, God, how long till whatever this is that you're longing for is going to happen? You ever said that? I say it a lot. How long till, right? And it's like 
you know, it's, it's so sad, but it's true. It's like we're little kids in the back seat of the car that God's driving. We're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And your mom and dad's like, look out the window. Stop, stop poking your brother in the eye. You know? There's some character development trying to go on the back seat along the journey. And that's what God's trying to do with us. So again, uh, 11 long years. He starts out at 17. He's sold into slavery. He's 28 years, years old. And he goes into two more years. So we kind of know the story. Um, but the journey isn't complete. Joseph is still the center of his universe, even though he's allowing God in a little bit. So he gets to, two years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer's in the court. You guys know the story. And the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, I know, I know a guy. <laughs> I, I got a guy, <laughs> right? Even two years. He's like, man, he's going to be so mad at me when I bring him, <laughs> right? <laughs> he probably won't because he's coming out of prison. So the story says they sh- he goes and he shaves. He dresses real nice. They bring him before the king. Um, Pharaoh tells him the dreams about, you know, famine's coming. There's seven um, big cows and then there's seven little cows. And the little cows come up and, you know, devour them. So anyway, some sheaves of wheat going on. There's a lot of symbolic stuff happening. But nobody can tell him the interpretation, right? So here's the king of the universe in the world sense. This is the big dog, right? This is the biggest nation on the earth at the time. Um, it's the most powerful. Jo- Joseph is now 30 years old. He, according to Jewish culture, he's finally a man. Did you know that, that you're not a man until you're 30? My Bible school teachers told me that you're not a man of God until you're at least 40. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing. And I was so angry because I was 25. And then I turned 40 and I was like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> and part of the reason why is there's a journey, right? Some people can, can get to the journey, uh, get to the result sooner than others. I don't know why that is, but it's just the truth. But again, now he's 30 years old. He's been a slave and in prison since he was 17 years old. That's a long time to be waiting on the promises of God. Every day you get up and like, ain't nobody bowing down to you. Like the first time that people bowed down to Joseph was they were leaning over the well looking in because he was at the bottom. Right? It's like, is that, is that what you meant, Lord, by the my brothers bowing down to me? <laughs> no, but it's what you did, right? They got you to that point. So Genesis 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to verse 16 because it's the most important part of the story. I cannot do it. Just let this sink in for a second. I can't. Let me read what the Pharaoh said. I mean, think about an opportunity, right? You're talking about an opportunity. Here's the man, right? <laughs> Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. The world wants to make it about him and his gift. The world wants to make it about you and your gift. The world will use your gift for its own benefit. So are you, are you letting it? If you're an incredible leader, um, you ought to be leading a business or something. You should be leading somewhere if, if God has made you an incredible leader. But let me ask you, how much of your gift really are you giving to God? Now, it feels like I'm beating you up a little bit. Because I would imagine some of us, maybe you're online and you hear that and you're like, you know, if I'm honest, I'm using my gift outside of the kingdom more than I am inside the kingdom. And this is where, in the old days, I would have said, shame on you. <laughs> well, I know too much about the new covenant to say that. That's just not how it works. All I'm saying to you is if you're not careful, you're going to go around the mountain one more time. Because what's happening in you, that leadership gift can only be, or any gift in you, can only be satisfied through the kingdom purposes, right? You, you'll get a taste of it in the world, but it'll leave you empty. 
it always comes up short. And so Joseph now has gone through this process of realizing what God you've been trying to do in me was not use my gift, but it was to get to me first, build something inside of me so that my heart became a doorway to your purposes and your plan. That you have a king and a kingdom, and the king kingdom means literally the king's domain. This is God's purpose and plan. The good news is the king's your father. Like when you grow up in the house, in the in the castle, in the palace of a king, when you're a little kid, you don't know your dad's a king. You don't even know what a king is. But over time, one of two things is going to happen. You're you're going to become that trust fund baby that we all despise, right? Because you have so many benefits and so many amazing gifts and so many resources and so much inheritance, and all you do is use it to party for yourself and your friends. And then if you follow that story, again, comes back to the new covenant and you see it with Jesus again, right? The, the story of the son who goes out and spends his inheritance in, in ways that, you know, God never designed. So does, does God hate him? No. My Bible says the moment he turns around and he comes back to him, he comes back to his senses. He comes back to sanity. The moment he does that, the father isn't even waiting for him. He runs out to meet him. He couldn't go get him. Listen, this is important, practical application. If you're in the midst of this and you're using your gift for anything other than kingdom or primarily for something besides the kingdom, what's going to happen is you're, you're going to spend your inheritance in places it won't work and you're going to you're going to find out very quickly that it's going to leave you wanting, right? And the only thing that happens is you finally get to that place where, metaphorically speaking or literally, you've spent it all, right? And you're at that place where you're like, even, the, you know, even my father's servants. And so you start thinking of his father as a servant. The moment you turn around and start headed back to the Lord, what happens is God is already running to meet you. The truth of it is in the new covenant, He's, he's never left you, right? He's always been there. But we can really mess it up. So Pharaoh says, hey, I know you're a dream interpreter. You're incredibly gifted. Um, what can you do for me? And he starts out, I can't do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So again, has he lost his prophetic ability? Of course not. He knows what's going on. He knows what that dream mean, means, I promise you. The moment it came out, he knew what the Lord was saying in that. The whole idea is God was trying to move Joseph out of the center of his universe and moving to the edge, right, so that he could take up center stage. Now, here's what's really incredible when you think about this story. Because his heart has changed now, and he's, his heart is now a doorway to the purposes of God. Humility has come in. He's learned a, a thing or two, right? Because he's seen a thing or two. <laughs> he's come into this place now where he says, okay, God, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I know you're doing it. So now he, he marries his gifting and his calling, his abilities, all those things with, with the identity that God says is his. He's a child of God, used for God's purpose. He steps into that. And look at what God does. God immediately puts him back in the center of the universe. Now, not, not completely, right? Because <laughs> the whole problem was he wasn't allowing God to be the center of the universe. And what's amazing is in God's grace and his kindness and love and his mercy, and, his, and his, the, the thing, his purpose for your life is built into his love for you. And so the kingdom is all about representation. But if you do it, if you start out with your gift, and I see this all the time in churches, People are, are, are 
incredibly gifted with no character. And, and, and what happens is they're spending their gift on themselves. They're taking all of the things that God has made them good at and, and the abilities and the passions and all those things, and they're, they're using them for le- It's kind of like the, the story of the guy who purchased a chainsaw and he goes back to the shop, you know, and he tells the guy, he goes like, you know, all the promises you made about this chainsaw are ridiculous. It's taking me longer to cut trees down with this than it does with the axe that I, that I gave up for this chainsaw. And he said, well, here, let me, let me crank it and see what's wrong with it. He goes, what do you mean crank it? <laughs> right? And so, so that's you and I. Like, so often, the, the purposes of God are trying to be worked out in us and we are our, our absolute own worst enemy. I have people all the time going, I don't understand why God is doing this. <laughs> so I said, I always ask, do you want to know? It's not a mystery. <laughs> I can help you with this. I, I know because I've been on this journey. Right? Sometimes I'm, I remember, I, I realize I'm back at that place where I'm, you know, telling my brothers the dream so they'll look up to me. It's subtle. Right? That grabs hold of your heart. But it comes back to the only place you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction is when God is at the center of your universe. And when that happens, what happens now is he can fully release you to every bit of your inheritance. So let me just kind of wrap it up with this. There's, there's a journey that we're all on, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to the place where we submit everything to him. And let me, just, let me just say this, you can't play games with God. You can't sort of submit it, mostly submit it, right? You can, you can say you're submitting it, and then secretly in your own heart, you don't even know your own heart, right? You're, you don't even know that you are not fully submitted, but you ask this question, this is a good way that you know. You say, God, I don't understand why you are withholding this good thing from me, is what you say, right? I had somebody, um, early days in ministry, I, wisdom point, came to me for prayer. And I, I didn't know this. God gave me a word of wisdom, so I shared it with her. Um, she said, um, I'm really having trouble. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm single. I, I want to be married. And I'm having this challenge. Um, you know, I, I don't understand why God is keeping me from having a husband. <laughs> I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. What kind of husband are you looking for? So she starts telling me. And I'm like, this guy's like Billy Graham, only the young version. You know what I'm talking about? Like this guy, she's describing, I'm like, you know Billy Graham's married, right? <laughs> He's pretty amazing, Billy Graham. So, so she's got this vision in her heart and her head of this incredible um, husband, and it's true that that's what God is saying, right? But I, I had to simply ask her, I said, do you think it might be better than trying to find the right person? Maybe you should just be the right person. Because let, let's be honest, if that guy shows up, is he going to want to be with you? Like, that, was, that was my leadership gift coming through my pastoral gift. I'm pretty sure I didn't share it as kindly as I could have. But the impact was pretty amazing, like tears welled up in her eyes. And she had, you know, it wasn't beat me up kind of mentality. It was this realization that she had been ascribing to God something that was completely untrue. And in her heart of hearts, she knew it. And so she just, you know, her journey then said, you know what, I submit this to God, I really do. And, I, and she said, God, I, I believe that this is what you want for my life. I feel like I've heard you, but I'm not seeing it come to pass. And I know, because I know you, that you don't withhold any good thing 
from your children. I know that. I've seen it in others. I see it in your word. It's true. My circumstances are telling me something different. Lord, whatever's going on, I submit to the process. Can I just tell you, the moment you do that, all of a sudden things begin to turn around. And, and everything that God has promised you, and he said his intention was always to give it to you, but maybe for not the reasons you thought it was. Right? So the person ends up getting married to this amazing person, and, and the guy was basically Billy Graham, only younger. Right? He's an incredible guy, man of God. They've got kids now. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. The, the whole point is, if we, if, if we have something, our gift, our purpose, our plan is unsubmitted to God, um, mostly that's because our relationship with God is not settled, right? Because we're saying, God, I know you love me, but. God, I know you're good, but. Lord, I know you want to bless the United States of America, but. Right? I know, God, I know this is true, but I also don't believe it. Right? And so at the end of the day, that scripture comes back, um, I, would have, I would have lost courage, I would have lost hope, I would have, I would have given, all, given up completely, I'm paraphrasing, unless I believed that you wanted to bless me in the land of the living. Right? In other words, it's, it's just not helpful to say, well, you know, there's heaven. Thank you for that. That's, that's super helpful in my time of you know, hurt and pain. Thank you for that. Super. <laughs> I, could, I could have got that from Facebook, but thank you, right? That's not what people want to hear. But can I just tell you, it's subtle. And the subtlety is, and if, if we're being honest, I'm not serving, I'm not giving my strength to the kingdom for some reason. It's, it's the leadership of the church. It's I don't have time. It's the list goes on, on and on and on, right? And God is saying, listen, I designed you with this gift. It can be used for wonderful things. Joseph, when he stepped into his calling, was second only to the greatest leader of their day. All of the wealth of Egypt, all of the armies of Egypt, everything was at his beck and call. But now, it wasn't for the purposes of a 17-year-old selfish young man, but the purposes of a 30-year-old fully grown man of God who recognized that his purposes were designed to, to, to not for his brothers to bow down to him in servitude, but to bow down to him in thankfulness and hope because God was working through him. It's a beautiful picture, and it's one that God has for you. So I just want to encourage you. You've been designed, and you've been promised things, and God's not playing. He's serious about it. The problem isn't God is withholding any good thing from you. You do have an enemy of your souls, so there's a battle to fight. We get that. But at the end of the day, there is no devil in hell that can keep God from, get, from doing what God wants to do. But you and I can put up our hand to God through our attitude and, and misunderstanding, misalignment, all those things, and we, we can say no to God. And hear me, in, at least in my own life, God will honor that no. And ultimately, what hell is all about is not so God can punish you. Hell is the only place God's presence isn't there. And the people who go to hell are people who said to God, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want you in my life in any form or fashion. I can rule my own kingdom. I don't need you. Don't want you. Don't need you. And so God, reluctantly, the Bible says that hell is enlarging its mouth to receive people who are going but it's God's, never God's intention to send a single person to hell. God's intention for Joseph's journey was not slavery. It was not prison. That was not his intention. 
my question is, could he have gotten all those things outside of slavery and prison? Yeah. It would have, the journey would have been similar, <laughs> right? But, but it didn't have to be slavery and it didn't have to be prison. And so I just want to challenge you, whatever journey you're on, be honest. Stop with the foolishness. You know, it's a subtle problem. You know it's true if it's true for you. Whatever that is, if you are ascribing to God, God, you're withholding a good gift from me because you're mean, because you're trying to punish me. You know, the list goes on and on and on. None of those things are true. There is no enemy that can stop God. The only person who can stop God moving in your life is you. So I've prayed this prayer. I'm like, Lord, I've been, I've been in this church now for 11 years. And my, my vision that you gave me when we came was that we would be a resource church to this city and the surrounding area. That can't happen until God gets what he wants in my life first, right? I have to be that leader. I have to allow my character to grow and step into that place so that I can be that person that God can release that full inheritance to, and so do you. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. If that's you, the good news is um, God restores the years the locusts have eaten. So if you feel like, man, I've gone too far, I've done too much, I've, I've sinned away my day of grace, that's impossible, thankfully. You can't do that. And you can start fresh right where you are. The guy who started Kentucky Fried Chicken was in his 70s, 60s, early, or late 60s, early 70s when he started it. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm glad he did. <laughs> it's never too late. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you, guys. Um, as we go into grace teams and small groups, you know, we, I teach about the foundations of this because we do grace teams and small groups, um, and people sometimes go, well, that's just what you do. Well, and that is true, it is what we do, but I want to remind you, the what we do has to start with the why we do it, and it's not, you know, you serving in a grace team isn't what you can bring the church, although you will bring something to the local church and you'll minister and God's purposes will be formed in it, but it's first and primarily about what God is going to do in you as you serve. So whatever your gifts and your passions are, if you're not serving in that capacity, we're going to make that available, give you places where you can release those gifts and walk through into, your, into the fullness of your inheritance. Um, and whatever that, that looks like for you to serve in the kingdom capacity, be all in. Don't withhold any good thing from God because he's not withholding any good thing for you. Amen. So Jesus, we love you and we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that um, your plan and your attention has always been for us to rule. Lord, to always, always to rule. Lord, that's your intention. Grace is about your favor and it's not because we deserve it, but it's because you love us so much. And Lord, we see through Joseph's life that your grace was always there, even in his brokenness, even in his sin, even when he was missing it. Your grace and your goodness was always available to him, Lord, and it's available to us. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. You made a way where there wasn't one, and because of that, Lord, we love you so much, and we want to serve your purposes in this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before we leave this morning, um, if you're here with us in the, in the building, just uh, hang out. and We'll come pray with you. Raise your hand, point at us, get our attention. We'll come pray with you. If you need prayer online, you can go to our website, dothancf.com, and uh, we'll, we'll get you uh, connected. You can sign, uh, sign, fill out a form, and one of our leaders will get in touch with you, and they'll pray for you. Have a great week. Love you guys. Be ready to sign up for Grace Teams next week.